Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Would you like to take a survey? Surveys and case studies have been a key strategy for helping us understand the mindset of teachers. Today, our guest, Francie Alexander, will share how we can use survey data to assess what EdTech solutions would be the most effective for them. Francie Alexander is the Chief Research Officer at learning technology company Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, also known as HMH, where she works closely with districts across the country to lead HMH's efficacy efforts and provide inspirational and informative leadership on topics from early and adolescent learning to brain development and its influence on childhood and teenage learning. Prior to her time at HMH, Francie served as Chief Academic Officer at Scholastic, member of the National Assessment Governing Board, which oversees what's widely known as the nation's report card, and in key positions in both state and federal education agencies. Francie's work is grounded in the classroom, having taught students from kindergarten to college. Thank you so much for being part of our podcast, Francie. Well, I'm delighted to, and I know about your podcast, and I appreciate your audience and what you do. Great. Now, I like to start our interview with a simple and basic question. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? Yes, and it wasn't so much a learning one, but it was the last day of school in second grade. And I loved school. And I wasn't somebody who was sitting around crying at school because I was so happy to be there. I don't know why, but I started crying on the last day. And the teacher said to me, you shouldn't be crying on the last day. You should be crying on the first day. And I was thinking, oh, you're in the wrong job. And I think at that moment, I thought, I want to be a teacher and I want to be in school all the time. I love that. I like to tell kids that I work with, like, I'm in 36th grade because you never stop learning, right? That's right. And I love that because, you know, one of the things as a teacher, as a parent, as everything I've ever done. I really want to encourage people to keep learning. Agreed. Now, could you share how you became interested in the world of ed tech? Yes, because you could say the next thing I wanted to be after a teacher was to be a computer. And by that, I mean, I started teaching in the no computer classroom. So when I was teaching first graders to read, I was doing these profiles of my students. So let's just take the alphabet. I had pages in a grading book on who knows A, who knows B, who knows C. I would color in each little box for each child and color code it. Green, they knew it when I got them. Orange, they got it in the fall. Yeah, you know, you know, you can see it. And then I realized this was, so, you know, I'd look at it at a glance. I'd group my kids. I'd individualize. Well, then technology came along and guess what? All that is right there for me. So what can I do? I can really spend more time with the children who were missing some of the sounds. And, you know, the whole class didn't need to hear about it. And I have then that kind of information. Other things that I would do in the no computer era, 
I would make up these cards and then I would have a pencil and I, with a hole punch, these are the ones who need this skill. Think about it. And so to me, being in this industry, one of the big headlines, I hope those of us who develop materials will be helping teachers do what they do best. Because what do teachers do best? Sitting with kids and developing relationships, listening, knowing when somebody is coming into the classroom not feeling well, and taking that moment to sit down, to guide, to advise, providing a kind of lesson that only can come from, you know, reflecting on your own. What are you good at? What are you excited about? And having a kind of a, what is the highest sort of thing you can do in the research? A good discussion. That happens in real time when things are really moving. So all these things we're doing in technology are setting up those moments and times in classrooms to be truly wonderful. That's a great explanation. And thanks for sharing your experience. I like to say that EdTech basically helps teachers level up their toolbox, right? Like you said, you started with a toolbox of pencil and a notebook. <laughs> yes, that was it. Yeah. I like the way you said it. I'll remember that too when talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Happy to share that. Uh, now, what led you to your work at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt at HMH? Well, one of the things that I realized was sort of, if you would, an underpinning of everything that I did, I really cared about the research. And think about it. In our whole lives, we're impacted by research and science. And so I had the heart and I wanted to be sure I was bringing the head to it and that I knew what works best for whom and under what circumstances. So research became a really important part of everything I did. If there was a action research and somebody asked for teachers to sign up, sign me up, sign me up. So it became a part of what I did. And my last job in public education, I was deputy assistant secretary for education in the U.S. Department of Education's research division. So I think about my work at HMH, we have so much reach in some way, almost in every classroom. So then you can bring the research to bear in this technological era when we all are transforming what we do at school and can bring that to this task that we're all engaged in. Thanks for sharing that too. And part of that research I know is this annual educator confidence report. Can you share what that is? And also what are the benefits of collecting and reporting this data every single year? Sure, and we're on the eighth annual. And I think one of the important parts about doing a survey like this, you can get quick information in real time. I do efficacy research and it's multi-year, <laughs> over time, many protocols. A survey, we can get it out. We can report on what time. So I can tell you, and this happened at when they were through the last school year. So we could inform this one. And one of the things about this one that has stood out to me, because we've done three that you might say are in the era that we've been going through of this pandemic, this worldwide pandemic. So you really 
can get what's happening at these points in time and make some comparisons. And you know, the educators who reply, we get a really good response. We're always 1200, slightly above, which is a really good response. We in the field very quickly and for a short time, I think people wanna give voice. People want to inform and when we do it, we don't say it's for HMH, but we do say it's to inform policy, and production, you know, all of these big ideas. And so we wanna to speak to policymakers. We wanna to speak to professionals in the field of education. We wanna to talk to program developers. Um, so we want all of those audiences to be better informed about what we do and how we do it. We're grateful to have that information too. Like at our company, we love using data to decide just like, Hey, should we go down this design route or this design route? And we always go, let's look to the data. Let's look to what the teachers and the students need. Right. Exactly. And so we want this to help all of us. Right. Now you just said the eighth annual came out. So what are those key takeaways from this year's report when it comes to how teachers feel about using ed tech in their classroom? This is one of the interesting things. When we did this report, we really wanted to do something special in education. You know, we have a Dow Jones index, if you would, to help us understand our financial health as a country. We wanted to understand our education health. And there are two big areas, you know, in these surveys, all this little nerdy stuff, all the underlying criteria, but the index is really based on two sets of factors. One having to do with the adoption of ed tech, and the other having to do with the perception of the teaching profession. So you could kind of say there's high tech, high touch, there's both that we're addressing in this. And in so doing, the real bright spot was ed tech. And so I think we're all, we, we know we're at an inflection point in education. We all read what's going on. We know what's happening in the world. And this report to me says the bright spot is ed tech. The part that wasn't so bright was the perception of the field, a real decline in how teachers perceive this work that so many of us love from so many perspectives, either from serving teachers or from our own time in education where we all had that favorite teacher who made a difference to us all, in all of those ways. So to me, yes, it's the most significant decline we've had. And then if you think about some of the environmental things, well, what are we reading? We're reading that kids are doing less well on the National Assessment of Educational Progress. 20 years of gains a race, as you mentioned in my bio. I'm one of the people and, you know, very few in this industry who've actually served on the National Assessment Governing Board. So I I pay close attention to things like that over time. So you think about you're in this profession, you know your kids have academic and social needs, and then what is the perception you're getting from outside about it? So I think you can understand why that brought the overall index down. But again, uh, I wouldn't have been a teacher. I wouldn't do the work you and I do if I didn't 
feel you can make a difference. And I think this survey does point to solutions. And again, around ed tech as being a bright spot. And one of the highest rated things was teachers saying tech is essential. And I love that that essential is the exact word from the study. And that was one of the fields that got the highest rating. So I think that's pretty exciting. I mean, it breaks my heart. I'm on Facebook groups and communities and following what the teachers went through during the pandemic. So I, I, I'm like you, I am not surprised that the Mm. morale is so low, but on the other side, the fact that they're saying tech is essential, holy cow, that's like major progress from let's say six years ago. Right. Absolutely. And there were times that teachers and people like me who have been through the introduction, yeah, we've been through no tech in class, one computer in the class, but cows, the computer on wheels are coming. And then, you know, when's your turn or sending your kids to the lab to now it is a integrated part, just like it is in your work and mine. And you won't find anyone who will say technology is not an important part of every child's future in how they're going to learn and how they're going to live. So if they're learning using these tools, they're more future ready. And that becomes another important part of what teachers do. So previous surveys, will technology replace teachers? Nobody's worried about that, no. It's to the point about this is an important tool I have now. This is going to make me more effective in my work. So the essentialism is so important and the ways teachers are using it. And we talk about this in the survey that it points to three big ways. They're using them to be connected. They're using it to establish community and they're using it to customize. So if you think about those three C's and use them as kind of a guide, does our technology connect? Does it build community? Does it customize the learning experience? Those are three criteria you can set and put right in your notes and say, am I doing those things? Because that's when teachers want and need. That was going to be my next question, really. It was like, based on this data, right? What types of ed tech solutions do you think educators need? more than ever. So can we dive into those three C's and and let's walk through some examples of how an ed tech tool could meet those three C's? Certainly. So if we talk about connectedness as a start and things that came out high and as you look at them are things where the platform is friendly, so to speak, in terms of the ability to connect everything I'm doing. And one area of solutions that people were looking at, they want, if you're talking about your intervention or other programs, but to have them connected in a way because teachers are dealing with the fact that we mentioned the academic challenges. So in these connections, how are my intervention strategies connected to supplemental work? All of these things, are they talking to each other? Are they working together in the interest of my students? And so connections, and that's I think one of the strengths of this kind of environment is that 
we've seen how we can make connections. One, we did a teacher ethnography too, which also points to some of the important things. And there were four major ways that we discovered teachers use technology. One is for productivity tools. So again, we know that increases my work. And if I'm supported by technology, I can do everything else better. The next area was using data. So one of the things that we're finding in all of this, okay, to make these connections, to make these learning connections, having the data at the ready. And as I said, not having me sitting as a scribe, filling in little squares, you know, there's so much more important, but the data insights, that is so important. Another thing, and we really learned this, social networking. A lot of tools that we were using more in our personal lives before our professional ones now are an important part of the whole environment. And now all teachers have some presence in some way. I love all the creativity of the teachers on their Bitmoji classrooms everywhere and how they're showing who they are in different ways. So the social networking and lastly, and this came up, this is reinforced on this educator's confidence report instructionally. They were talking about how technology is so much more integrated. And in some ways, technology for instruction was a little bit behind some of the other areas, but now it has become a more robust part of the whole instructional planning, delivery in a classroom. So those are how we're making connections in new ways. My first day at Code Combat, the company was when the global pandemic started in the Bay oh. Area. Never set foot in the office. And that really affected how we developed the curriculum for our video games because we said, oh my gosh, all these teachers are distance learning. We need to connect that instruction point with technology so they can do it from a Zoom call with their teachers. So we went down like the Google Slides route so oh. teachers can manipulate, but it really like shone a light because I think six years ago, if I pushed teachers to just only use Google Slides, they would have been, no, 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 like what's going on here? Yeah. And now they're eager to adopt it. And they've learned that, hey, again, like you said, allows for more connection points, allows for it to be a more holistic um, system, right? And what many of us have seen is the future of education. The future is now. Things that we saw, oh, we'll have one-on-one -on -one someday. We'll have, yeah, we have it today. And now I think we're all trying to maximize, all right, we have this opportunity. Let's make it work for all our students, for all our teachers, and for the bigger society. Right. Now, that was connection. I know we had two other seats. Yes. Do you mind walking through those, too? No, and building community. And in all of this, when I think about it, we have never had less, if you would, dissonance or, or distance between the classroom and the kitchen table, because all of our students for some time were sitting with us. <laughs> they were at the kitchen table and the POS, the parent over shoulder could really see more about what's going on. And so we're using that to build community. And one of the things in the survey that the teachers said they want more touch points with families. And this current issue of ed leadership is about the family. Uh, and so this 
we have a new sense of community. It isn't about the child comes into my classroom, close the door, and child's with me from eight to three, open the door, and without that much contact. Now we really are more of a community of learners and the broader community is more part of the classroom. The classroom is more part of the broader community. And so continuing to build that community is an important part of it. Another aspect of community is our empathy and concern for each other has grown. One of the things that the teachers are most concerned about is the well-being of their colleagues, as well as, of course, the well-being of this, their students and themselves. That's another sense of community. We are in this together. We are still in some phase of this pandemic. Nobody wants to call it post yet because we just haven't figured out what does it mean? What does it mean to be in an endemic? And is it just a flu shot every year, two, two shots instead of one in terms of that and not having to worry about things or there are things we're gonna have to take into consideration. And in our country, this is the first time we've all faced something like this in our schools together. Many of us know, we hear about a flood in libraries and, and like at HMH, we're there, how can we help? What, what of our materials need replacement? We're there for you. This is a time we've all faced something the same, the same challenge. And so also though, to me, in terms of community, it is part of the larger community because we are looking at how educators and families are solving for this. What solutions are emerging? What are we learning and being taught in this environment? And that's pretty excited. And these, these new tools we have are helping us to share more in real time. So community is a hugely important part of this. Right. It takes a village, right? I think we all sort of knew that. Yeah. But then the pandemic literally made us build a village. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what's that final C then? Fancy. The final one is customization. Mm -hmm. And this is one that's a little trickier to talk about. And here's what I mean. And But to me, it's so important. And we also are really looking at through the equity lens on all the work that we do. And when we talk about equity at its basic level, what do we mean? We mean every student getting what that student needs to unlock their potential. It's that simple and that complex, but that's what equity is. It's not, we are going to see you all have a device. That's a quality and yes, that is a part of the job, but equity is being sure that you get what you need. I get what I need. Every student gets what that student needs. So when you talk about that, that means there needs to be a level of customization in education because we need to know, and this is something for ed tech developers, we need to know what works for who, under what circumstances we have to look at our data, the dosage, the so for this child, this is what we need. This is the, the time we need, the delivery mechanism we need. These are the outcomes we can expect. We need to move from data rich and information poor to something I, or the 
the useless drip towards data rich and insight for performance. So data rich and in, insight for performance, change that word to drip to much better words and, and use them in meaningful ways. And so customization is about that. It's about the insights from data. It's about having assessments that really help you see the child in, in a full way. But it doesn't mean that you're a, a box or you are in a box. Customization means I work with you on how to work in a collaborative learning group. I'm informed about every member of that group. Maybe the group is, and the research is strong on this, is formed around a learning need. Maybe it's also, it's formed around an interest. You'll be in multiple groups for multiple reasons. I'm still able to customize for you. In the collaborative group, I'm gonna give you a role that you need for social development. You're only too happy to take the notes in these groups, but you know what? You lead the next one and I'm going to give you some leadership tools on it. I'm going to work with you maybe in a one-on-one -on -one situation before you lead this collaborative group to see that you're ready for the task. So you're still getting your needs met, but you're working with other students because that's how the world works. That's how I'm going to make you a future ready learner uh, and a future ready participant. That's, that's how you're going to get ready for the world and the world's going to get ready for you. You never thought of it as a customized collaboration like experience, <laughs> right? Uh -huh. uh, there you go. Another C and I love my C's. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to borrow that one. Customized collaboration. I like it. Yeah, I, I agree on that one too. Oh, ooh, okay. I want to see that <laughs> diagram when you're done. <laughs> I feel you because I have a three-year-old and she definitely has strong leadership skills. I've talked to teachers where they really try and make sure kids rotate through those collaborative roles because sometimes even though you're you're a strong leader, you need to learn how to take a backseat, right? And yeah. be a team member. And yeah. you and you do. And you know what? Sometimes you have to be the note taker because you know you go to meetings sometimes, oh I'm I'm not good at that. Hello. You know, everybody gets a turn here. And how are you going to get good at it by trying it once, you know? That's right. I'm like, I'm pretty concern if you're not a good note taker because yeah, that's a know, pretty essential life skill you're right and and i think some people say because you know they don't quite want to do it and be the one after the meeting so you know what yeah i'll make sure that everybody that comes across my way learns how to be a good note type taker that's right did you guys hear that teachers please make sure yeah. all your kids are good note takers yeah, for the future right. <laughs> the speaking way, of, yeah go ahead to add to that kids do do better in testing situations when they've taken their own notes. Yeah, so that, you know, they can be very particular and very individualized after teachers give them, you know, some structure to it. Don't write everything down, somebody says, all of this and that. But you give them some points, but the way some people particularize their note-taking really helps them deepen their knowledge and understanding and their ability to show what they know later. Right. And I love sharing this too. I'm a doodler when I'm doing note-taking and EdTech has been amazing. Like I used Procreate on my tablet to take notes at this most recent conference. And right next to me, I'm seeing someone scribbling on a different kind of tablet. Someone's doing Google Docs to write their notes. So I think EdTech also allows for that customized note-taking experience too. 
You're right. That's such a good example of the importance of customization. Well, at the core, we want all our students to learn how to take notes. And then one of the things I think we need to do in the education setting is providing access to all of those things so that as we make choices about how we do it, and you know, I could be sitting next to you at a conference and say, oh, she's using that, I'm using this, and that sort of observation. But I think we need to introduce our students to these various things so they can make good choices about their own ongoing learning. Agreed. Now, how do you think the needs of teachers will change in the future when it comes to ed tech solutions? So we we're talking about the now, but how about the future? One thing I don't think we're, we're future ready enough for in our systems are we showed, I mean, we literally in 24 hours were able to basically get all of our children on some kind of device and learning from home. We, we did this. It was a big thing. And as an education community, we should congratulate ourselves on that. We really haven't. And so this is what I, teachers need. And then next time, what I think will happen. But we haven't established an infrastructure on how are we going to replace these devices? What's the rotation? What's the best device for when? I have multiple devices. So when we talk on one-on-one, -on -one, maybe it's not just one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe every cat has a, a few things that are needed for various purposes. So I don't think we've identified the best infrastructure um, and that we have attended to the cost of having a technological infrastructure for our schools. So teachers need that. They shouldn't be worried about it. They should not, they are, you know, there are certain things I call the IT professionals in my company. I don't do, you know, I'm still kind of one of those to shut it all down and then open it and hope that it went away, whatever the bad thing was. Um, but then my next strategy is to call IT. Teachers, you know, obviously need that support. But the big job is, of course, educating children and engaging their hearts and minds. And they need to have a say in what tools they use in the selection and the adoption of the tools of the resources. They need to have voice. They need to have tools. Well, there must be attention. We know there's a lot of attention to the science of learning and they must count on us in our industry that yes, we've used the evidence in the development of the resources they provide. But where is the room and the space for innovation, for creativity and contributing? We must have those spaces that um, if there's a certain book in the curriculum that I'm supposed to be using, but there's a brand new book. The, the announcement of the National Book Awards came out. There's a brand new book. I know that would really engage my middle school kids, and it's not in my curriculum yet. Then we have the curriculum framework, like at HMH, how you have discussions, how you give kids agency and book selection, how you do all the wonderful things we want for our kids to live literate lives. And so we do that in our Into Literature, with all of those things, if I want to replace a book with another one that isn't the one in the curriculum, well, I have the infrastructure for doing it. So I'm doing all the things that the kids need to grow as readers and writers. And, but I can put that brand new book into it so that the teacher can always bring 
the personality, the preferences to these tasks. So I think that's an important part of as we develop. And so that teachers can become co-creators with us. And that I think we can collect data now as we are doing more in real time. So we can improve and, you know, Everything in education is about continuous improvement and learning. That's why I like being part of a learning tech company. We can collect this data. And then this tells us what the next iteration and the next iteration and the next iteration will be like. And then in our survey, teachers said, we need some very practical things. Look at our salaries, you know, support for mental health, and having the resources we need. On a Maslow's like hierarchy, we need to have a social agreement, if you would, around education that teacher salaries aren't an issue and that perhaps ed tech can be another bright spot in education by just the technological know-how and savvy that's needed to teach now should also be part of the argument for continuous way that we look at how teacher salaries. Teachers are, you know, becoming tech gurus, tech wizards in their communities. And there was always the kind of the sense, um, oh, the children know more than we do. You know, that's really not it. Our education workforce can literally teach children and teach a nation how to incorporate these things. So we need to take advantage of that in an important way. I agree. And that's a problem that can't just be glossed over anymore. You know, you see the burnout rate, you see the yeah. staffing issues and you're just like, Hey, we've got to incentivize teachers to yeah. want to stay. Yeah. So our teachers told us, look at our salaries, look at our wellness having the resources we need. And that's where I started with the infrastructure. I think we all need to look as a nation at the school infrastructure for technology and really have a basic level of investment in it and continuous investment because we all get excited about these new things that are happening. At HMH, we're looking, of course, at AI and the positive impact we're having through our programs and the use of AI and using that well and strategically. More and more touch and voice, more senses are coming into using our devices. What's the impact of that? So these are the kind of things that we need a roadmap and to be part of establishing that roadmap to the future. Yeah, I got it. Now, what advice would you give to someone who's interested in making a positive impact in EdTech now, and like you said, looking into that future, what's the first step that they could make? The first step is ask an expert. And, you know, you might have an expert living with you, your three-year-old in your case, you know, but checking in with students and teachers. And then look at the evidence. We live in an era where it is so easy to tap into what works in education. Through the Institute of Educational Sciences, it's right there. They put out now practice guides. What are best practices in intervention? We know many of our kids need more help. What are best practices in early childhood? Look at the evidence. So go to what I call expert opinion. 
but there are two E's, or I guess it's an EO and an E because expert opinion has two, and that is the users. Go to the users and then go to the evidence. People have been working on solving these problems and be sure you're informed. And again, that's why I am honored to have the role of looking at research at HMH. We are very focused on expert opinion and evidence. We really care about research. Again, and also when you're in the middle of the process, like I said, when in doubt and you're trying to make a decision, go to the expert, go to the evidence and there'll be a clear path, right? There will be, there will be. And anytime you break from the path, do it because you think you've leapfrogged. I mean, do it with an understanding, oh, we're gonna give them this, but we're also, you know, it's like with, with your phone, you never knew it could be your camera. So maybe there are things like that that aren't being asked for, figure out what it is and, and do it. Great. Now the final question, and this is sort of a chance for reflection here, is what advice would you have given to your younger self? It would be the advice I learned to give to students. And when you start teaching, there's all of this, there's these rules and when, and, and you're like, whoa, I mean, my first job was as a first grade teacher. So your child's three, well, with only three more years on them, they were six. What am I supposed to do? I mean, you know, do this and do that. And when you're here, I mean, I thought, oh, this is just too much for me. And you see those rules charts sometimes and I don't kind of want that. And I was teaching, we talked about from kindergarten to college and I've taught um, courses in psychology at the college level for prospective teachers and came up with teachers an acronym T-O-O, think of others. And if in, when I was making a choice basically about anything, I thought, what's my impact? If it's some simple personal choice on talking about the environment or sustainable, you know, you're thinking of others when you make a choice about recycle or what you're going to buy or not. You, you know, if that's guiding you, you know, you're not going to go wrong. You're going to make mistakes because we all do. But if you're doing it from the perspective of thinking of others, then you're going to fix it. Because one thing, um, you know, with your three-year-old and yeah, we talk to them when they start doing things that maybe aren't as cute anymore. And you kind of have to say and tell your little friend that you just tugged the toy from you're sorry and all of that. Thinking of others, the next level is not just saying, I'm sorry, because mostly when they say that, that's because you told them they had to, but taking it to the next level, I'm sorry, how can I help you? And once they learn that little phrase, and that gets back again to this essentialism about thinking of others in all that we do. And I said, you're not going to go wrong if you do that. Agreed. So remember everyone, T-O-O, <laughs> when in doubt. Francie, it's been a pleasure having you on our podcast. And thanks for sharing all that important knowledge and advice that you've gained through these years. Happy to do so. And so happy that you're letting others know about the Educators Confidence Report because it's meant to give voice to educators and for those who didn't get to participate to find out what their colleagues are saying in the nation. Awesome. Definitely check it out and we'll leave a link in this episode description. Great. Thank you. And so good meeting you. You as well. 
Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.